knowing when to say no. Yeah, that's a really big one for me. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a big one. Yeah. This is just like general life advice. Right. Of like, especially last year during quarantine, it was just like, oh, well, I'm not leaving the house anyway. Why would I say no to literally anything? And then you're overwhelmed with like a million contract projects or like you said yes to some side project and then you have like five to do in one day and it's Saturday and even if you're leaving that if you're not leaving the house it's not restful mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think my new rule there is one say no to most things but also two there's like an inherent cost in any project no matter how small it is because you have to like get your mind in the right mindset and think about everything around the problem so that was a really big one for me to learn still learning Big thanks to our partners, Linode Fastly and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by Retool. Retool is the low-code platform for developers to build internal tools super fast and super easy. They have a ton of integrations and templates to start with. With a click of a button in seconds, you can start with a new Postgres admin panel application, kick off an admin panel for reading from and writing to your database built on Postgres. This app lets you look through, edit, and add users, orders, and products. It's too easy to get started with Retool. Head to retool.com slash changelog to learn more and try for free. Again, that's retool.com slash changelog. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live on YouTube each and every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Subscribe to our channel for notifications at youtube.com slash changelog. And join in the conversation on Twitter. We are at JS Party FM. Okay, let's get right into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. is our favorite time of the week. It is JS Party Time. I'm Jared, your internet friend, and I'm joined by three of my internet friends, including a brand new friend. Let's introduce her first, Amelia Wattenberger. Welcome to JS Party. Yeah, thanks. So excited to be here. We are excited to have you. And Nick Nisi is also here. What's up, Nick? Hoy hoy. Hoy hoy back at you. We also have another Emil, but it's not Amelia, <laughs> it's Amel. Oh, no. Yeah, I can now <laughs> trick you guys. Bu- yeah, name variation butchering, but that's all good. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is great because I can pull the old bait and switch. Why don't you answer that one, Amel? Uh, <laughs> oh, look at you. Tricky, tricky. Amel Hussein is here. What's up, Amel? Hi, everybody. Happy to be here. Always happy to have you. Now, we want to formally introduce Amelia. She has been on the show before. But now she's here to stay as a regular panelist. So we're excited. We're going to get to know her just a little bit. But first, I wanted to make a big announcement because I want everybody to get excited about this. I'm excited about this. If you've been listening to the show and you've been hearing our intros and outros, I've been teasing up our next front end feud episode in hopes that we get that survey filled out by enough people that we can actually do the episode. But I'm happy to announce that we have it all locked in at this point, September 2nd, a very special episode of Front End Feud. It is a podcast super collab with some of our favorite web dev podcasts. So we have 
Shop Talk Show versus Syntax live on September 2nd with myself hosting. We're also going to sprinkle in some JS Party Animals onto those teams. Amelia will be joining Chris, Coyer, and Dave Rupert on Team Shop Talk. And Divya will be joining Wes Boss and Scott Talinsky on Team Syntax. So look forward for that. We do have a YouTube event already in the system. So if you want to go to that YouTube page and click on the subscribe or whatever the button is, get the announcement when this thing goes live, you'll definitely want to participate in that one live. It's going to be lots of fun. And I'll include the link to the live stream in the chat as well as in our show notes. So a very special edition of Front End Feud. We still would like more people to take that survey. So if you haven't yet, help us out by being part of the listeners surveyed at jsparty.fm slash ff, like Front End Feud. And of course, one survey participator. We'll get a free JS Party t-shirt. We have to get to at least 100. Otherwise, it's not a good sample size, y'all. And it just breaks everything. So fill out the survey. But Amelia, don't go fill it out because you have to be on the show and we wouldn't want you having the questions beforehand. Do go fill it out with questions I know the answers to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might be able to do that. You definitely give Team Shop Talk the upper hand. But who do y'all think is going to actually pull out victorious? I mean, we have a couple weeks to prepare. Who's your betting on, Nick? Syntax or Shop Talk? Hmm. Well, I listened to both of those shows, and I'm going to say that if the questions, I haven't looked at the questions, but if they are centered around Svelte, then Team Syntax all the way. If not, if they're centered more around, I don't know, anything but Svelte. jQuery. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say WordPress, but I don't want that to come off as like mean. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So... I wrote the questions, but I don't remember what they are, so I can't give you any insights. Amel, what do you think? Chris Coyer, Dave Rupert versus Wes Boss, Scott Talinsky in Front End Feud. You've played Front End Feud, so you know how it goes down. Who's got the upper hand? You know, Jared, I think much like life, this is going to be a rigged game. So I think you just <laughs> you need to play to Jared. You know, Jared made the questions. You need to put yourself in Jared's That's shoes true. and you need to have like a what would Jared do moment, you know? So I would say that would be my advice to the teams. And I don't yeah. know, it could be anybody's game. Just depends on uh, how well they're willing to get into your head, you know? So Yeah, that's the, right. The real winner like is going to be Jared if any team scores. Basically, basically, yeah. You know, so. Well, I do have a powerful mind. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> your mind is a powerful weapon, Jared. We've acknowledged that and yes, immortalized it. You know, thank you for that. You know, he, he actually like literally grabbed that soundbite and put it on Twitter. I was like, wow, Jared, you know, <laughs> like, wow. But, you know. Well, it's the first time I've had a compliment for a long time. You, know, you got to <laughs> hold tight to it. Yeah, take what you can get. All right. Enough about me, but I do agree. I think if either of those two teams want a good chance at winning, they'll probably have to kiss up to me over the next few weeks in order to have a chance at the rigged game. But enough about me. Let's talk about Amelia. So you're here to stay. You're going to be a regular panelist. We've had you on the show before. If you've been listening for a long time, you probably remember her on episode 113, which was over a year ago now. She joined Emma and I to talk about D3, to talk about the state of CSS or JS chart that you design. You do a lot of visualizations. You do a lot of stuff. Tell us about yourself, Amelia, where you're coming from, where you work, all the goodies. 
Yeah, I think this is actually going to be different than the last time I was on here and said what mm-hmm. I do and for who. I am Amelia. I live in D.C., um, which I also might not have the last time I was on. I moved from mm. upstate New York right before the pandemic, so I don't know D.C. very well, but hopefully that will change soon. I've been a front-end developer at small startups, so I kind of do a whole range of things. Sometimes I dabble in design, but it's mostly web development, and I really enjoy making data visualizations. So that's kind of a niche that I really enjoy. Oh, and right now I'm working for GitHub. It's kind of like we're rebranding as the Innovation Lab. And so I work on a really small team. There's like two teams within Innovation Lab, and we basically are focused on what is the future of developer experience. And we get to do like prototypes and experiments to kind of try out different things that we think might be cool (laughs) to help developers, you know, make their lives easier. Nice. So we should get you talking with Chris Hiller, who's doing R&D at Sauce Labs. And a lot of his stuff is very much prototypes and trying out new ideas. It sounds like you have a pretty fun job there. Yeah. I've loved it so far. I've been there about five, five months now. Awesome. Anything you can talk about or is it all hush hush and uh, pre launch? And that's a really good question. Honestly, I'm still (laughs) trying to figure that out. (laughs) I don't want to get you in trouble. You can always claim forgiveness. You know, there's uh, ask for (laughs) permission. uh, You can ask for permission later. Ask for forgiveness now. (laughs) Just kidding. No, we don't want to get you in trouble. But no, that does sound like a really cool job. And I have to say, and I told this to Chris as well, like um, when he shared the news about his new role, like it's developers are really hard customers. And it was always like a personal goal of mine to be a tool maker for a little while. I think I kind of got a little bit of that taste when I was working at NPM, but it's an honor to be developing for developers because, it, you know, you're upstream from people who are upstream from everyone else, you know? And so there's kind of like a high level of scrutiny on your work and a high kind of caliber and demand for excellence. So, um, so, you know, I think that pressure is fun, but it can be really challenging too. So it's hard to make everybody happy. You know, we're still arguing over tabs versus spaces for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny because, oh, Nick just shared his dot files repo with me the other day because we've been toying around with NeoVim or I have, he's been using it for a while and he was showing me some stuff he's doing. And it took every ounce of control in me not to open up a pull request and change his tab stops and his Vim config to <laughs> two spaces, which is the actual correct <laughs> way of doing it. I didn't do oh, it, though, which shows I'm maturing as a human. <laughs> You're a better man than me. <laughs> well, we know that because I've used two spaces, which is what. <laughs> yeah, I, for the me. past six months, I've actually only been working on some really intense research around if two spaces is better than four spaces. And the scientific conclusion is that two spaces is better. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> Dang it. Not you know, sure at all. I'm, I'm really on that. I was page. really hoping you were going to pull that paper I, out. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. Is this, I was like, can, can some, is this written down somewhere? Like, this is fantastic. There's some actual like binary evidence. I'm just going to edit out. Well, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I plan on editing out the part where she says, I'm just kidding. Oh. I just posted. Yeah. <laughs> Because now we have definitive. Yeah, right, right. At this yeah. point, as long as you have a prettier RC set up to uh, convert whatever I'm writing to whatever you want it to be, then I don't care. That's good yeah. point. Yeah, I wish prettier could just be extended to more things, you know, because I, I really mm-hmm. do think like 
There's things that are just really preferences. You know, there's so many ways to skin a cat for any particular thing when you're writing software. Mm. And if we could just kind of really clearly differentiate like preference versus like functionality, you know, and and kind of Mm -hmm. make that clear, you know, teams just need to align. And once you align, you're not arguing in pull requests, you know, so so if we could just kind of like codify those conventions, like more strongly than even just linting rules, that would be really fantastic. But you mean like beyond style guys? Yeah. You mean like, I mean like fully enforcing conventions like across like the board. architecture, mm-hmm. like file locations, naming of files, you know, function ordering, function names, you know, just kind of like more broadly <laughs> putting a gamut so, on stuff. I already dislike how many ESLint rules yell at me, and you're talking about right. adding even more. Yeah, you know what? I like looking at code bases where I don't know who wrote the code. So, yeah. so you don't know who to go. Yes, at. I like I like it when you can look at different files and it feels like one story, you know, so, you know, but hey, everybody what, can drink, you, you know, so. Yeah. What if you go super deep and like, you know, not allow like you're violating the law of Demeter or something like we we follow these rules around here. Right. And so you can't actually do that. And I need some some high quality static analysis and. As we talked about last episode, static analysis tools tend to fail in human ways. So that would probably end up just being a thing that annoys you. And then you eventually turn off because you're sick of those warnings. You're like, I know yes, I'm violating the law Demeter and I want to. <laughs> You've described yes, Lynn. Or Demeter. I don't know how you say it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you might be onto something here by setting a threshold. You know, like you can only introduce four new warnings in a given PR as opposed to like 100. You know, <laughs> like, maybe you can pick your battles a little more, you know, so we give you some flex. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Micro. Micro, aka M3O, is a new cloud platform built for developers by developers. Our good friend Asa Maslam is leading this. And if you're tired of AWS and feeling overwhelmed by the cloud, infinite billing, and an endless sea of docs, it is time for a change. The Micro team is reimagining the cloud for the next generation. M3O is a new developer-friendly platform to explore, search, and use simpler APIs for everyday consumption all in one place. Get access to the APIs you need in one click and test them right there on the web before using them. Simple, fast, and affordable. You won't get burned by bottomless billing. You top up your account and pay as you go. And right now, they're in early development and building out the first set of APIs and they're looking for feedback from developers. Sign up and get $5 in free credits. Kick the tires, give them your input so they can build the best APIs you want to use every single day. Learn more at m3o.com. Again, m3o.com. So, Amelia, what brought you to Washington, D.C.? Was it GitHub or was it you just wanted to move or why did you decide to move? I am actually moving within the next year as well. Um, These are the perks of marrying someone in academia, but hopefully this next move will be the last move (laughs) for a very long time. But we basically started in Texas, in Austin, and then we went up to upstate New York for a while. Now we're in D.C., and then we will be in Berkeley, California, hopefully for good. Well, that's a big move. Yeah, I'm excited. Myself, up until six years ago, I lived 
across the street from where I went to elementary school. Like I could walk, I could walk my kids to the same exact park that I went to when I was in elementary school. In fact, where I, you know, cut my chin open in third grade and had someone's tooth go in my forehead in kindergarten, that kind of stuff. So you've uh, moved quite a bit, but I haven't fallen very far from the tree myself. Amel, you've moved around quite a bit. Yeah, but like, I don't know, much like a serial monogamist, I'm, I've been pretty stable in my moves in the sense that like, I'm in one place for a really long time, but you know, so I'm not like constantly moving around, but yeah, I, I was born in New York City, moved to Dubai when I was a child, lived there for like 17 years, came back for college, like in the Boston area, have lived there since and just recently moved out of the Boston area and into the Berkshires. So I'm in this like magical place. Look it up. It's pretty magical. We have lots of like, out yeah, out in the woods, but we get like, you know, world-class performing arts and just lots of music and good food and culture and like people really progressive. And so it's a very magical place in that way. So, mm. yeah. But Amelia, I'm really curious about your background. So you are like this kind of intersectional developer, you know, kind of spanning a few different areas of like expertise. I'm really curious, like, what are some kind of nuggets that you've kind of taken away from like being that person that's jumped around, you know, different kind of subject matters and having to kind of like glue them together as like the one person that's doing it all for your teams? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. What nuggets do I know? I don't really know. Well, it's funny because I was a psych major and neuro major, so I come from pretty far afield. And I feel like that actually ties in a good amount, like when I'm working, just thinking about like the user experience and like where people are coming from when they're looking at a website. Yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like there's not enough people who work in between design and development where I feel like a lot of companies are still stuck in the like you make a static mock up. And then you hand it off to a developer and the developer codes up a website and, you know, it like goes down the waterfall. Whereas I think there's a lot of really interesting things that could happen in the browser if the designer and the developer were closer, potentially even the same person. I feel like we just kind of like had newspapers and now they're websites. But it's like, that's a big one for me is like articles of like teaching things. Like when you're reading an article, you could just be reading text or what if we can make it interactive? Like, how can we take advantage of what the web has to offer to make things more exciting, make things easier to communicate? That's not a nugget, though. No, that's the <laughs> holy grail. No, I think you, you hit <laughs> yeah. on some really important like points. Yeah, I agree. Like the kind of artificial constraints around our business processes and like our need to kind yeah. of categorize things. They've created artificial boundaries and like they're kind of stagnating our creativity in, in terms of like what could be, you know. And so, yeah, I totally agree. What are your thoughts on improving that? Like for that example of getting designers and developers to work closer together and not just like throwing something over a wall uh, to have a developer implement a design. Like, is it some kind of like intersection of tools where the design tool generates code and then that gets kind of refined by a developer or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see all these like no code tools coming out. I think there's like two camps right now, right? There's designers and there's developers. And I feel like the no code tools are bringing designers into development land where they can like make things interactive, make them responsive. I also think it's great when developers move more towards design land, which can be really scary because 
I think developers have seen a lot of websites and they know what looks good and what doesn't look good. At least this is true for me. So when you first start trying to do anything designy, you know it looks bad. You feel bad about yourself. You don't want to share it. And you just kind of have to do that enough times that there's that one time where you're like, this isn't so bad. I am happy to share this with people. And then like you just get better and better. I'm a big fan of like the one person who can do both things, but also just like working closely together in tools like Figma where both designers and developers are comfortable and they're kind of like moving things around. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's a lot to ask of someone to like master everything about being a good designer and then master everything about being a good engineer and then like go do both jobs, you know? I mean, it's definitely a lot to ask for. And I think we're we're really lucky to have people who are able to kind of shift between both worlds. But if we're really honest with ourselves, like I think, you know, there's still very much a T shape. You know, everybody has a T. T being like you have a breadth of things that you're good at and then you can you going to kind of have your deep areas of expertise. Um, I think it's really hard to be kind of both, you know, even folks who like identify as full stack, like myself, like I could definitely move up and down the stack, but like, I definitely have areas of expertise and like, I wouldn't want to be, you know, designing a full scale, like backend that needs to like, you know, serve a million requests per second or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm happy, happy to consult, you know, but like, that's not my area of expertise. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, kind of on the same token, like QA is something I think that like is being shared. I don't know. It's being kind of more abs- absolved, like quality, like there were like specific roles for testers and those roles are like slowly disappearing at companies because they're pushing that ownership onto developers. And so that's another thing, like building quality software or scalable software, there's an expertise to doing that well. And, you know, it's another skill that we don't like, I don't know, we're not making a lot of space for these days um, intentionally. So Ira Glass of NPR's This American Life has a great little quote that he talks about, which gets passed around the taste talent gap, I think he calls it. The gap between, and Amelia, you were speaking to this with a developer who sees good design and likes good design and and can recognize it when they see it and can kind of, sort of do it sometimes, but not always. And there's this, this void between your taste and your talent or skill. And he's speaking generally about creative people. We all go through this where it's like, I know what I want to produce, but I can't actually, my skill can't get me there yet. And sometimes it can take years to where you're actually producing things that satisfy your own taste. And so I think we all get there, like you're talking about about different areas of the stack. I think when you see, even if you're more skilled on the front end and you see a really nice database schema, for example, or a nice pattern in code, And you can appreciate that and say, yeah, that's good. But then when you have your blank, you know, text area, your text screen, and you're trying to design that, then you have the gap. And so we all have areas where we have the gap. And so I think growing as a developer, I'm including full stack, like every aspect of what we do in software requires you to like be filling in those gaps in the area that you are over time. And just you have to persevere through it because you're not going to be excellent at everything. But the more you can do more, then you can actually provide kind of a holistic solutions, you know, the better you are. 
That's one of my favorite clips. And I feel like an important part of that, maybe that's just the way I heard it, is that the gap is the painful part, but it's also really important to have, like, it's a good thing to have a gap because you know what's good and what's not. Whereas there are tons of things I don't know anything about and I have no taste in where if I tried to learn them, I wouldn't even know if what I was producing was like a good one Mm. or a bad one. All right. We are here for a break and we'll be right back to talk productivity tips and tricks. What are the odds? Nick brings up Vim, TypeScript, (laughs) or something like this. Foreshadowing. 100% chance. You know what's funny, actually, Jared? I have a really quick thing to tie this segment in with the next segment. Are you ready for it? Oh, goodness. Let's see. All right. So... I'm a huge fan of like knowing your gaps as well, but I found that, you know, for me, instead of kind of like finding it, like my gaps are not, they decelerate like your ability to work fast, but I'm able to really Mm. quickly fill that by just knowing who I can immediately reach out to, to fill those gaps. Like I know my experts, you know, like if I have my, like, who's good at this, who's good at that, who do I need to talk to for this, you know? And so like the more you're able to kind of build out your like army of people, you know, within your team or your company that are able to like help fill in your gaps, you know, the, actually the quick, the quicker right. you're able to kind of like fill that pothole and move on, you know? So yeah. that's, that's like a really yeah key part, especially working in large organizations. Like Yeah, you need to like learn how to lean on other people and, you know, and also just like not have an ego, like ask for help, lean, ask questions, listen more. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the specialized versus generalized argument because there's definitely a school of thought that says, why are you trying to get better at these things that you aren't good at? You're excellent at this thing. And you could take that to like the expert of expert level and be the best you can be at this particular skill. Maybe it's database design. Like why not just be the best database designer and don't worry about these areas where you have gaps. And I definitely can respect both perspectives. I think in software, and Amel, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, I think having a a robust team is really the answer. And you learn, you can fill out that gap by learning from these people who are excellent at it. You're going to learn way faster from somebody who's good at this, interacting with them than just like by dorking around on your own, you know, in the dark for all those years. So yeah, a team definitely fills those out. But in terms of what we should do individually, getting better, you know, do you specialize? Do you generalize? I've always been a generalist, and I think that in technology, specialization can work really well in your favor if you pick the right technologies or to specialize in, and it can really hamstring you if you make a wrong bet. So the hedge is to generalize, and if you find a specialty that's clearly going to be relevant for n years you know go for it or maybe it'll go away and come back like cobalt you know like a specializing cobalt i was out of a job for a while but now i'm just picking whatever you read you read my mind you, you literally read my yeah mind. you just yeah. picking your salary at this point you know you could charge Pay me one million dollars for this pull request thank you very much exactly <laughs> send it to my swiss account
This episode is brought to you by Sentry. Build better software faster. Diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. Over 1 million developers and 68,000 organizations already use Sentry, including us. Sentry also recently shipped a new SDK for Next.js applications. Check the show notes for links to more details. Best of all, our listeners get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io and use the code THECHANGELOG when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code THECHANGELOG. thought it would be fun we've done this before but it's probably been years to just talk productivity because there's lots of little takeaways you can have tips and tricks there's things that you can take if you just get one thing out of this segment then i think it's a win and so we have a big list of productivity tips and tricks we probably won't hit them all and they don't all have names next to them so like who put what in but nick put his name in so <laughs> let's start with scripting Ooh, yeah parentheses nick what's this yeah. So if you're looking to be productive, it might be an XKCD cartoon. It might not be, but there's some meme out there that's like, why spend five minutes doing this when I could spend three months automating it to save me that five minutes? Yeah. And that's the general approach I take to life for the most <laughs> part. <laughs> it's, yeah, being productive at being unproductive. But mm. seriously, it's, I think that you can get really far with just like tiny improvements to your own like development workflow. And I can think of just a couple right off the top of my mind since joining the company I'm at. Like one thing that's like really, we have a mono repo and it's kind of really hard to run tests in the mono repo and like target very specific tests. I don't use any fancy UI for that or anything. So I'm all command line. And, you know, I wrote just a simple bash script called T and I can pass it in the test file and it'll just run that test, that very specific test, but it'll also scope like code coverage down to just that one thing. So I can run that with a watcher and just see things and like hone in. And it makes me productive overall because I'm not waiting for an entire test suite to run. I'm not thinking about how I craft, you know, the special command to only run that. I just type T and I actually use, it like opens up FZF which is a fuzzy file finder for the command line. And it lets me mm-hmm. fuzzy find to the specific spec file that I want to run. So I don't even have to like think about that at all. I just start typing the name and then it goes and it's automatically setting up the watcher and doing everything exactly the way that I want things to work. And that's really big. And just from there, there's like really cool tools. I live in Tmux, for example, I run Vim inside of Tmux. There's, the first Vim reference of the day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I recently just learned about display pop-up in Tmux. And it is something that I can run from within my commands to just have it hit display pop-up and it will show the command output or ask me questions in a pop-up window inside of Tmux. So I can like quickly do that. And when combining it with other things like FZF, I can have like a very complicated like UI for this command line tool that is really simple to write or to wrap a basic script around with anything so that I can quickly do what I want to do. And then that is gone. It just disappears after it's done, or it lets me copy what I need and then go from there. So like an example of something I use for that is logging into our app with like various test users and all of that. 
I'm lazy. I strive to be lazy and typing in the username and password for all of that for a user is um, complicated and takes a while. I have to like load the page and all of that. With this tool, I can just hit a key command. It'll bring up a display pop-up window in Tmux. It will let me fuzzy complete the email address of the user I want to log in as. And then I push a button and it will make a request, log me in itself, and it will just deliver back the JWT that I can then just paste into my local storage and off to the races I go without having to log in at all. Oh, nice. So just little tiny hacks to make me faster and not have to jump through a lot of minutiae when I want to mm-hmm. change things around because I have to jump through a lot of minutiae anyway. Yeah. Right. First of all, I've never seen Nick Nisi so excited. So hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> praise, praise yes. the, the T-Mux and whatever Lords, you know, <laughs> speaking of T-Mux, like I can never, ever figure out like how to get out of my T-Mux like session safely. I'm always paranoid about like killing it. So that's annoying. But anyways, but no, what you just described, Nick, there's actually another kind of hack that people use to do something very similar. It's actually using like your end-to-end test runner. So you actually write your end-to-end tests while you're like using Cypress, for example, like while you're actually developing a new feature, you like start writing the test for it. And like your, hmm. your robot and then putting putting that test file on watch and being able to like continuously run that and get to that point, you know, so by the time you're done, you have your feature and then you have your end-to-end test, you know, but your end test is there to kind of keep updating the UI and getting to that state, you know, and mm-hmm. you use a robot that moves really fast. So you're not having to click around. So that's another like hack. I can't say that I've ever done that, but I really like the idea of it. Yeah, it's cool. I should try it. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. But yeah, I think like logging in and we've done this for our end to end tests where, you know, you just do the programmatic login where you get the token and you you're able to kind of reuse that for different tests as well. So you should just bypass the whole login process and speed up your tests. But yeah, anyways, I'll stop talking now. (laughs) I think scripting automation is probably the number one way that programmers feel like they have superpowers, you know, like even if it's, you do the backwards thing, you spent hundreds of hours on this thing that takes you 30 seconds a day. There is the feeling of satisfaction that's actually irreplaceable. Like that, it's worth all that extra time, isn't it, Nick? Just because, like you said, Amel, the joy on this man's oh face God. right here in his voice—he <laughs> loves so doing excited. this stuff. Like it's so cool. Anytime you have something annoying, and you can, by your own skill or ingenuity or whatever it is, get rid of that thing and automate it, it just feels so good. Yeah, I don't think we talk enough about Bash. Not that you need to use Bash for every single automation. But like, don't bash on it. It is a really good skill to put on in your tool belt because it'll serve you for life. Like much like Git, like it's something that's really foundational to operating systems and like ROSs. And so, you know, yeah, learn it once, use it always. It'll it'll really make your life a lot better. I promise. I think unfortunately, I use it rarely enough that it's like learn it once. Every few months. Oh, yeah. But that's, uh, that's yeah. most people. That's, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But it does get easier. Yeah. But I think that tools like other languages that make it easier to write scripts are starting to become more prevalent. Like I think like a lot of command line 
tools are written in Go because you can then compile that and have that executable and you don't have to worry about if somebody has Go on their machine to be able to run it. And mm -hmm. you can do the same thing with JavaScript or TypeScript and Dino. You can compile that down and then pass that around and it's a really nice and easy way to write in a more comfortable language and not worry about all of these dependencies that like the difficulties of running it for whoever you might be sharing that script with. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that's one thing that we kind of take for granted as like professional software developers is we, we just write code every day and it's just what we're accustomed to. But if you were writing scripts like this in a non coding job and like automating pieces of your job away, it would feel like a complete superpower. And we should just remember that. Yeah. So that's funny you say that because we just had a fellow write in. We just published on the change log an episode all about Vim. And we've got a lot of feedback about people who use Vim and love Vim. And he is a trial lawyer. And he wrote in on that episode how he's been using Vim since the 90s, actually VI, before it was Vim. Um, since the 90s. And he uses Unix tools like the CTAG stuff and SED and awk and it's all text-based. And he uses it in his lawyering work. <laughs> and he's literally, I actually asked him back, I'm like, is there anybody else? Do you have like a club? I was like, you know, what's the cross-section of lawyers who also use Unix tools? And he said, it's, it's one person. It's just him. <laughs> but because he's that way, he has like superpowers. that, And he handles things that takes other people's, you know, hours and days, especially because a lot of law is just text manipulation and collating and extraction and so he has these skills he's been doing for years and years. And he says he can't even count how many hours he saved over his career because he has these skills. Yeah. Well, I think that's, Amelia, to kind of your point about like learning Bash every few months or relearning it. Like, I do think, you know, we need to build up an arsenal of commands and scripts and like, this is how I did this. You know, this is how I solved that problem. Just kind of build that for yourself so you can just keep that as your own reference log. I mean, that's why people blog. A lot of folks blog just to kind of remind themselves of how they did it, you know. But, you know, you don't need to make a blog, but like just, you know, make a repo and have it be your notes and have that be something that you're able to carry with you from job to job. And it's your own arsenal of like how you did a thing. And obviously, you know, don't steal company secrets, but like, you know, most of the time there's nothing really secretive about how to do, you know, write this kind of a regex or like script this thing. Like it's, there's, no, there's usually no company secrets there, but I, I would highly recommend that. Yeah. So another thing on this list of productivity tips and tricks is Pomodoro timers. Who's using Pomodoro up in here? Is that you, Amelia? I added that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're not I a don't user. currently use them. No, I do sometimes. Um, and I used to do it a lot. The concept is basically just work in sprints and so like right. often you'll set a timer for 25 minutes and basically you can't do anything except work i don't think you actually have to work but you can't do anything else so you have to like sit there and like eventually you'll probably get bored enough that you'll get some work done and then yeah, you'll once, start working yeah. yeah and then once the timer's done you have like five or ten minutes to do anything but work so it just kind of like forces you to i don't know um, sit down and either work or don't work and like kind of treat it yeah. as like you're not like multitasking reading twitter at the same time as you're coding yeah i've done it it's, it's really nice practice. yeah mm -hmm. exactly i was gonna say it kind of ties into the hot new buzzword in productivity circles lately and that's time boxing and it's mm -hmm. really just planning out your day 
fully. And that can be in the style of Pomodoro or, but just accounting for every, every minute of the day so that you are maximizing what you can do when you take breaks and overall just feeling good about the work you're getting done because you plan to get it done at that time. Mm. Yeah. I've tried Pomodoro years ago and I, it just didn't click for me because for me, it takes a while to get into a state of flow, like about 25 minutes. And then if I'm going to take a five minute break, I'm just like, my context is gone and then I'm back and I got to get it back. It takes five or 10 minutes. And then, so I like to get into a state of productivity, kind of maker schedule, manager schedule thing, like get the maker schedule going, give me four hours uninterrupted and I'll take an hour off. I don't even care because if I can go three or four hours without stopping at all, that's where I feel like the most productive because the first 10, 15, 20 minutes is wasted, like remembering what I was doing and like trying to figure it out. And then once you're rolling. So I tried Pomodoro. I didn't really click with me. I know people that use it and swear by it. And they say they're just so much more productive with this 25 on five off cadence. But I, I do think the key is the discipline, right? It provides a structure for discipline for your work. So you're not just dorking around, which we tend to do when we don't have discipline. I'm with you, Jared. That's like really for me, like it's the maker's hours thing. Like I just, if I'm implementing a a task and I need to have cans on keyboard time, like I just need my like uninterrupted time and I'm in flow state for a few hours and I get it done, you know, but like breaking that up over multiple days or like, it's really frustrating and like not productive. So like I need large time chunks to get there. And it takes me about almost an hour to really get into like a good flow state too. So slow warm up. Yep. So while we're on flow state, I do have a blog post I wrote back in 2011. Holy cow, I'm getting old. All about how to retain your dev flow. So this is between sessions. Because what I found is that that context ramp up is really kind of a can be a killer. And maybe it's over the lunch hour, but usually it's the day by day. So like you finish at the end of the day, you start up the next day. And there's certain little tricks you can do to jumpstart that, right? To like get your context back quicker and get you back into flow faster. And so there's three things that I advise in that post, which I'll, I continue to use one of these pretty much nonstop. We're talking a decade later. The first one, just leave yourself notes. Like, what was I working on? It's really, you're trying to get back to where you were. Leave yourself notes saying what you're up to. Like, that's kind of like the most obvious thing that people do. It's too much work for me. You know, like, I'm at the end of my day, I'm ready to leave. I don't want to write myself notes from the past. So I just can't really see that as a sustainable way, but it's definitely a way of getting back. The other one that I do sometimes, depending on what I'm up to, is leave failing tests. So like the last thing you do at the end of your day is to write a test that fails. Even if you have a test that's passing, maybe just make it fail real quick (laughs) and then leave it there. Because then when you come back, the first thing you do is you run your test suite and you see the failing test. And for some reason that just like everything kind of rushes back in like, oh yeah, this is exactly where I was. And you kind of like jump back to that spot in your brain but even that's too much work for me so what i end up doing you know i used to do all these things but now a decade later all i do is this third technique which is to leave some unstaged changes in your git branch whatever you're doing like specifically like i'm not going to stage these i'm not going to commit this i'm going to leave it right here and when i get back i'm going to see exactly what i had edited but not committed and for me that's a great way to get back in the flow faster than having to start fresh and think about what I was doing yesterday. Did anybody tried any of those techniques or did you do anything to like get back to where you were more quickly? That last one is, I basically do that every day because 
it's just like so quick to be like, oh, okay, this is what I was doing. And then yeah. the other thing I do that's kind of related is there'll often be things that come up like little tasks where I'm like, oh, I just need to get this done at the end of the day. And I'll usually like my instinct is to just like bang them out. Like, oh, I'm going to lose all this context. I'll just get it done. And then I'm working till like 630. <laughs> and then what I've been trying to do is like if I stop having that small task to do in the morning, I find is just exactly what I need to kind of like get in the groove again and then tackle the bigger tasks a little bit later. Yeah, I do something very similar. I really like having some, not starting from a blank slate in the mornings. So I will try and stop whenever I can for that. And just the way my schedule works out right now, I, you know, I have to go pick up my kids. So like as soon as the end of the day is here, I'm like yabba dabba doing it out like Fred Flintstone <laughs> sliding down the dinosaur tail. And I really try and actually get to a stopping point a half hour earlier than that. And then I have a checklist that I try and go through of, you know, process this inbox, go through my email and see if there's anything I need to add to my inbox, go through the to do's that I've accumulated throughout the day and try and flag priorities that I need to get done by tomorrow or during the day tomorrow at some point. So that when I come in, I'm not just like, what do I do? Where do I go from here? I just have like a set list of like, you know, finish what I was working on, respond to this email, go help this person with this problem they're having and just go from there. I don't always succeed at that, but it's something that I really try and, and set up, set myself up for successfully. And it sometimes works. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have a combination of that. Like I have this like rolling to-do list that I'm constantly looking at and checking off and moving things up and down, but I can't leave the little things for the next day because they just fall off of my important, like, like I have a very, um, like my brain is very like into problems. And so this, like the little problems aren't always as exciting as the big ones. And I am somebody who, because of my job, like I just have multiple things going on at any given time. So if I don't finish the thing, like then and there, I will forget about it. And kind of like, it'll come, I'll come back to like a week later. Cause it's just fallen off. Like, Oh great. I solved the puzzle. You know? So I'm like notorious for having like the longest, like pull requests. It's like, Amel, like this pull request looks like it's done. Like, you know, like, do you want to merge it? I'm like, Oh yeah, I just need to fix this end to end test. But like, that's not the exciting part. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm like, I don't care, you know? So I just, that's like a me problem, you know? So, mm. but yeah, like once I've solved the puzzle, like that's it. Like I'm like less interested in, the, <laughs> you know, all of the, the other mechanics, mechanics of, of it. it. Yeah. So I, so if I take a break and come back to it the next day, like it's not going to happen as fast. So I just need to like get it all in and just like roll it over the fence, you know? Yeah. yeah. And actually, I can you know, relate to that. The, but yeah, seriously. And you know, the best thing that's been saving my butt a lot lately is GitHub's new auto merge yes. feature, right? So it's like, as long as you've got all of your, your CI is green, you get all the pull requests, you're good to go. You just hit that button and you don't have to come back to it. So you don't have to baby your pull requests anymore. So that's been like a huge boost to my personal productivity lately, like just mm. in being able to like get things over the fence faster because I'm, I'm constantly context switching. And so it just goes into my rotation and I like get back to it in a few days, you know? But again, that's a me problem. So let's do one more here. <laughs> I like this one quite a bit. It's not what you would normally think of, but it says knowing when to say no. Yeah, that's a really big one for me. <laughs> that seems like a big one. Yeah. yeah. This is just like general life advice of like, especially right? last year during quarantine, it was just like 
oh, well, I'm not leaving the house anyway. Why would I say no to literally anything? And then you're overwhelmed with like a million contract projects or like you said yes to some side project. And then you have like five to do in one day and it's Saturday. And even if you're leaving, not, if you're not leaving the house, it's not restful. <laughs> and I, I think my new role there is one, say no to most things, but also two, there's like an inherent cost in any project, no matter how small it is, because you have to like get your mind in the right mindset and think about everything around the problem. So that was a really big one for me to learn. Still learning. There's a great quote. I think it's by Derek Savers. I have the book right here. Hell yeah or no. Yes. If it's not right. a hell yes, then it's a no. And it's something that I constantly have to think about because, you know, sometimes it can be flattering to say yes to something and you want to do that and see what opportunities might come out of it, even though it might yeah. not be. But in the end, it just becomes, it, it can become too much. Like it all depends, but that it's generally good advice. I like that. Yeah. That's one that I follow as well. And in fact, it's tough because, you know, you look at every opportunity as just like such a blessing or such a cool, interesting, like you want to do all the things, right? And so it's kind of like, yes, but is it hell yes? Like, and you get to a certain point when the opportunities, I mean, some people are in a phase of life where there aren't very many opportunities. Then it's just kind of like, we'll go ahead and take the ones that come to you, you know? But as you move on in advance and find opportunity and it finds you over time, you get to a point where you get a lot of them. And then the problem changes to which ones to select and which ones not to select. And in that case, yeah, I ask myself that question all the time is like, do I really want like, is this an obvious thing that got me super excited or I just kind of feel like it could be good or it's kind of like an obligation or you feel bad to say no, like saying no. Reminds me of that Tommy Boy quote. Remember Tommy Boy's dad was really good at selling stuff? And have you seen that movie, Amelia? Tommy Boy? I have not. Chris Farley. It's a classic. Uh. You need to put that on your list. Say yes to watching that movie. <laughs> See, I just assigned you homework. Welcome to Jazz Party, where I assign people to do things. No, you would definitely want to see that movie because Tommy Boy's dad was a great salesman. And one of his lines is he's like selling this rotary girder. I don't know what he's selling. And he tells the guy, he says, why say no? when it feels so good to say yes. Mm. And some of that's just like, and the guy, of course, buys the thing because he sells them. <laughs> How do you but I mean, isn't that, that kind of what it is? Like, it feels good to say yes, yeah. but doesn't make it the right choice. You know, you know, Jared, I got advice from someone on this exact problem, like a technique that they use. Like when you're evaluating opportunities, you always want to say yes to everything, but a metric that you can use to weed out the ones that are maybe like less ideal for you or... If you had to do this tomorrow, would you say yes? Like, you know what I mean? Would you do this tomorrow if you had to do it? Like, would you would you make time in your mm. schedule to do this tomorrow? Like, is this something that you'd be excited about doing? And like, you can kind of, you know, like that's a good way to kind of weed out if you're saying yes because you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings <laughs> or because you feel obligated. Right. <laughs> you know. Maybe a second part of this tip, since we all have had some experience with this, is how do you go about saying no? Like, because some of it's like, ah, that's the social awkwardness or the the anxiety about that interaction, letting somebody down or turning somebody down. I mean, it never feels good, like like the quote says. But are there ways that you've gone about saying no that have worked better than others? Or how do you do it? I'll tell you the way that I use the most, which is by far not the best way, 
but it's the most effective right. way sometimes. And that's, I ignore it until it goes away on its own. <laughs> so the ghost, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, that is, I think, in certain cold requests, I mean, we do that all the time. I get so much email for the changelog. People want to come on the shows. I'm not going to respond to every single email and say no. Oh, so is that just, why you've been ignoring all my emails? <laughs> gosh, you know, Jared, I thought I, it was like, the truth you know, gosh, you know, now I, I don't know. know how to break this to you, Amel, but you're, you're on the show Damn right it. now. You're on a, anyways, uh, anyways no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. So in that case, like a cold email, you don't know the person they're asking you for something. I'm totally fine with just not responding because there's just too many emails in life. But what if it's like a colleague or a friend or it's not, you know, you're not going to ghost a colleague if they ask you for something, right? You're going to have to tell them something. Amelia, what about you? How do you say no? I've been waiting to hear answers <laughs> on this. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. Okay. Out of office message saying you're in Alaska for three months. <laughs> and hoping that they forget about it by the time you're quote unquote back, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have a built-in excuse. I just say, kids. I, I have kids Family. and I can't kids. do it. Yeah, yeah kids are a great excuse. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I never want to lie about it. And my reason is always like, this isn't a priority for me. Or like, I don't think that sounds yeah. great. Which I've tried before. <laughs> I don't think that sounds great. <laughs> just yeah, like, this is honest. I don't want to. Which I think like, you hate when you ask someone to do something and they like lie about like, oh no, I can't do that because uh, I'm not available. And you're like, I didn't say right. when. That never <laughs> yeah. feels good. Yeah. They're like, I have bowling league that night. And you're like, yeah, I didn't give a date yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, a line that I've been able to use pretty successfully so far is that like, I just have too many commitments right now and my plate's really full yeah. and I would love That's to. That's true, It's right? the truth though. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, I just I just can't take anything else on right now. And it's always nice to give people another option. So like if you can redirect them to someone else, like if you're being asked to do a talk mm -hmm. or whatever, like if you yeah, just say, hey, maybe this person can help. And then just kind of like, you know, I think that's the most you can do. But yeah, no, you need to be protective of your your time and energy. And, you know, most right. of the time people are understanding. So I do like that approach, though, Amel, because it, it really shows that you did consider it and you put thought a little bit of thought into it. Which is, you know, it's not just like a canned no response in that regard. And even I think going back to maybe what you said, Amelia, like if you were brutally honest, like, no, that doesn't sound good to me. Like that would probably stand out as like a significant response that they might get for something like that. And it mm -hmm. might lead to, you know, collaborating or, or changing it to be exactly what you want. And that could be good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I, I like the honesty of too busy, too many things going on. One thing that happens with that with a persistent requester is they will then set a reminder mm -hmm. to ask you again in a month or 60 days. And that can be problematic. So now you're having it. Now you got to do it again. And so at times I will say similar to what Amelia says, but I'll say something like this just doesn't feel like a great fit or doesn't feel right. That's good. Just doesn't it's feel not right. you, it's me. And it's really hard. I mean, it's not really, it's not <laughs> offensive. It's not saying it's a bad idea. It's not saying. It's not that? you, it's me. <laughs> you know, it's like a brain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it doesn't feel right. I've never gotten someone to write back and be like, how dare you? Or, you know, of course, maybe they're thinking that, but they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Appreciate oh the time. That's great. Cause it's not like, this isn't good objectively. It's like, it's not yeah. good for me. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't bad. feel like a great fit. Yeah. Can I put someone on blast? Well, I'm not going to put someone or I'll put an organization on blast. There's a particular <laughs> Facebook recruiter 
His last email to me was literally, I'm, I kid you not, like, okay, AML, so I know we've reached out to you like 50 times. Here's hoping that number 51 will be successful, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh my God, like what part of like not responding to your emails, mm-hmm. not like like interested, do you, like do you not understand? Like, I, you know, so I persistence, like it can hurt you. So just don't be that person, you know? Yeah, so for the person who just cold emails you five, six, seven times in a row without a response, I have a text expander for them, which is an all caps unsubscribe. <laughs> and I just reply with that. That's good. Smart. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't want to click. I don't want to hear from you anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jared, I, I don't know if we're going to have time to get to this, but I, I did link. I will maybe put a link to the show notes. But for me, urgency importance matrix has like changed my life these past few months. I've started Mm. to adopt that and I've got some really good coaching on this from my boss because there's so many things we can do that I also so many things that I want to do. And like a lot of people in engineering leadership roles have a very hard time delegating because they know they can do the work better than anyone else, you know, or like they have a particular way that they want to implement this. And, And I'm talking to myself here, you know, so but sometimes it's it's like you need to really learn how to when to delegate and what you can delegate. And yeah, it might get done differently or slower, but it's, it's fine. You know, it, cause it frees you up to do yeah. other stuff, but yeah, like knowing what you can do first, do later, eliminate, delegate, you know, like it's been a game changer for me. So. Right on. Well, we've been having too much fun because we are way over time. We're going to have to just delay our brand new third segment, which was either going to be called awesome HREFs or stumbled upon or Link Palooza, which now that I say out loud is the yeah. worst name I came up with. But we're not going to do it. So who cares what it was going to be called? We'll save that for the next time that we do segments. This has been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. All the links to all the things are in the show notes, including Amel's Urgency Importance Matrix. So if you just got a taste of what that is and you want to dive into it, definitely click through and check that one out. One last reminder, please do take the front end feud survey. So we have lots of awesome responses. Otherwise I'll have to have Nick write a bash script (laughs) that goes and takes the survey for us and just fills in fake information. I'll do it. Don't make me do it. That's at jsparty.fm slash FF. Nick, Amel, Amelia. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today at JS Party. Any final words before we Throw that outro song. Welcome, Amelia. We're excited to have you. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you. Thank you. We are happy. We are representing the AM crew. (laughs) The morning people. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's Jay's party for this week. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to JS Party. We have a bundle of awesome podcasts for you at changelog.com. That includes our brand new show, Ship It with Gerhard Lazoo, a podcast about getting your best ideas into the world and seeing what happens. It's about the code, the ops, the infra, and the people that make it happen. Yes, we focus on the people because everything else is an implementation detail. Subscribe now at changelog.com slash ship it or simply search for ship it in your favorite podcast app. You'll find it. JS Party is produced by Jared Santo with music by Breakmaster Cylinder. We're brought to you by Fastly, Launch Darkly, and Linode. Next up on the pod, Louis Via from Tylef joins Nick and Chris to provide an actual lawyer's take on GitHub Copilot and the intersection of AI and IP. It's a good one, so stay tuned for it next week. Thank you.